and welcome to Worst Bestsellers, where sometimes we actually read good stuff. I'm Renata. And I'm Kate. And this is part one of our book year in review. Hello. Yeah, so um, every year we like to take a little break from reading all of the bad things that we read, and we like to just um, check in and talk about things we read that actually were good. And before we get too much into that, we'll just give a little recap of what our guidelines are for this, because it's maybe a little different from some other best of lists or on the internet. Yeah. First of all, um, we don't count stuff we read for the podcast, because obviously our worst books of the year would be, like, stuff we read for the podcast. Um, uh, also, sometimes when we say, we say bests and worsts, bests and worsts, because it sounds cute with our podcast name, but frequently, um, worst is just the book we liked least, um, which for me... I, I particularly t- feel a lot of guilt about this every year because I'm not a librarian. I don't read books for my job. So if I don't like a book, I put it down. So any book that I finished is a book that I liked enough to finish and is not bad, but it's cute to call it bests and worsts. Mm-hmm. So none of my worst books, with the exception of my worst adult book, which is a book we read for our book club are books that I made myself finish and they were terrible. They were all books that I still genuinely enjoyed. Some of mine are pretty bad. Uh, (laughs) You you read for your job. Also, I'm stubborn. But anyway, we'll get into that. Um, (laughs) One of our other biggest things is our list is not only things that were published in 2019. It's just stuff that we happened to read in 2019. So there's definitely some backlist stuff in here, but... You know, we didn't get a chance to read it until now, and that doesn't seem fair to keep it off our list just because it was published in the past. Yeah. Um, And the other thing, which I alluded to, is that we separate our bests and worsts into four different categories. Children's and middle grade, teen and young adult, adult, and all graphic novels regardless of age audience. Yeah. So this episode is going to specifically be about uh, children's and YA books that we read this year. So yeah. Yeah. Um, And we'll count down from five to one, which is our favorite, and then we'll quickly talk about our least favorite of the year. Um, Yes. And um, we are going to read a little bit of our favorite books, uh, generally is how we do that. Yeah. I tend to not read from my least favorite books unless they're egregiously bad, mostly because I get almost all my books from the library and it's hard to go back and pick them up again sometimes. Yeah, a lot of these are not, it's not like, oh, it'll be funny to read it, so why bother? Yeah. <sighs> all right. Kate, what was your fifth favorite children's book of the year? Uh, so my fifth favorite children's book of the year Uh, was The Night Diary, which is by Vera Hiranandani. It was a book that I read for my, I'm in two book clubs, one with Renata and one not with Renata. (laughs) Um, And the one not with Renata. (laughs) It's allowed, I guess. We do sometimes do things separately. I know it's hard to believe. (laughs) 
But we do do sometimes do things separately. Sometimes uh, this is a book that a book club I'm in at Porter Square Books. Uh, so if you are in the greater Boston area and you are looking for a book club that focuses on children's and young adults, uh, we would probably love to have you. We meet on the second Monday of the month. This is Pro- a plug. Probably, for... probably, unless you suck and then don't come. Yes. <laughs> um, but moving on, um, this was a book that we read for that book club. Uh, it is it, simultaneously, it is a middle grade novel. It's fictional. It is based on the author's family story of living through the Indian, the, the creation of India and Pakistan uh, after India became independent of England in the 1940s. Um so Nisha, who is our protagonist, uh, she's half Muslim and half Hindu, and her mother has died several years ago, and her father, who is a well-respected doctor, has decided it's too dangerous to stay where they are, which is now becoming Pakistan, and that they need to cross the country to meet up with family, essentially like as refugees during a very dangerous time um and this is the diary that nisha keeps along the way and it is it's one of those books like i feel like sometimes there are bad historical fiction books that info dump a lot of information that you don't need to prove how well the author researched the given topic but also i don't like a lot of historical fiction so maybe that's why and that's normal but i felt like this did such a good job of having nisha explaining what's going on around her and from her perspective in a way that folded in all of this history and made you aware of what was happening without overloading you with it um her voice was also just wonderful her despite you know this terrible trip they're going on like her frustrations with her family while also being very protective of her family her reaction to different terrible things that happen along the way like nothing is very um sugar-coated or anything which i hate in middle grade books because don't sugarcoat things for children they're they know how the world works much better than you probably think it, it's just is very good you know, her, her aging grandmother is with them and her father and her brother, Anisha in particular, um, she has a lot of issues um, expressing herself verbally. She and, and her brother has frequently in the past kind of helped her out with that. But also he's very frustrated because while Nisha is very good at school, despite her occasional like nonverbal periods he's not very good at school and he just wants to draw and his father in particular is very harsh about that about the fact that he would rather do this than draw and it's starting to cause kind of a divide between them and uh it's just all the characters are so good and there are so many great interpersonal conflicts that are going on throughout the book in addition to this you know sprawling dangerous journey that they're all on together so yeah, I really liked it. I would recommend it. Her her diary is actually, it's written in the form of her writing letters to her mother. And it, it's it's just, oh, it's very good. It's a very good book. You should read it. I'll put it on my list. But my fifth favorite middle grade book of the year was called Roll With It by Jamie Sumner. 
Um, It's a contemporary realistic story of a girl named Ellie who has um, cerebral palsy and she's in a wheelchair and her mom um, has decided that they're going to go live with their grandma for a little while, but it's kind of a surprise. Like they're going to go for Christmas and then just surprise not leave because the grandma is having memory troubles and maybe dementia, but doesn't want to admit it and like doesn't want to admit that she needs help. So they're sort of sneak helping her. And Ellie is having um, some trouble with that because she loves her grandma, but she's also having these kind of feelings of like, oh, you're, you're talking about putting grandma in a home? Are you going to put me in a home? Because it's also kind of hard to take care of me sometimes. And Ellie's just a really, like, funny and uh, interesting narrator because she talks a lot about, you know, disability porn and the kind of idea of this character in a wheelchair who's supposed to be very, like, cheerful and, like, makes other people feel better. And she's not having that. And she's, like, a really kind of snarly kid sometimes and she's going through some some rough stuff and she's she's well like kate said the word sugarcoat she's not going to sugarcoat it but she's going to sugarcoat some baked goods because her b plot is she really likes to bake and she wants to win um the baking contest that the town has every year and so it's this sort of mix of sort of heavier issues with disability and aging and family and poverty and money and then baking and her it's interspersed with her writing letters to famous chefs and um and bakers and just saying like hey i tried this recipe you told me about and it didn't work and also uh anyway here's what's going on with my life at school and it's kind of a a cute device that i liked um and especially for kids or adults who are into bakers like you'll you'll recognize the people she's writing to, and that's kind of a fun, tasty little Easter egg in there. But it's yeah, it's it's a it's a bittersweet but ultimately like hopeful story. Um, and it's just nice to have a story like this that pushes back on a lot of the other kinds of stories about disability <clears throat> wonder <clears throat> that uh, are out there. <laughs> I like the sound of that book. Unsurprising. Yeah, I think you'd like it. <laughs> Um, So my fourth favorite middle grade book that I read this year was the first book in the Dactyl Hill Squad series by Daniel Jose Older. I think that I've recommended one of his books at least for the past three years when doing these things. Um, I think that he's a fantastic author. He also has a fantastic Twitter account if you're into that sort of thing. Um, I am. <laughs> uh, but this is a, a middle grade book. It is a sort of, um, and I was looking for this word last night and I couldn't remember it then either. Like an alternate history. There's a word for alternate history, a, a genre for alternate history, but I can't remember what it's called. Um, story, fantasy story that's set during uh, Civil War in New York. And it follows a young girl called uh, Mandalus Roca. And she is living in the Colored Orphans Asylum and is kind of like one of those very like I need to look out for myself because life has dealt me a terrible hand and I can't trust other people kind of kids. 
And one day while there is a field trip to go see a play, a draft riot breaks out in the streets and this person, this evil white guy who's has a big role in the city um, kidnaps a lot of the other orphans and uh, Magdalus is left with a few others who are able to escape to Brooklyn. And part of the alternate history of this series is that dinosaurs are a thing. And that's fucking wild. And I love it. I, it's, it's integrated very well into the text and it's just cool. <laughs> yeah. Dinosaurs are real. And also it's possible to telepathically communicate with them. Yes. It's wild. I loved it. Um, but uh, so uh, she escapes to Brooklyn with a bunch of other kids and they discovered that um, the kids who were kidnapped are going to be sold to the South as slaves unless they are able to stop it. And usually like kids aren't allowed to ride the pterodactyls. It- it's just, it's very good. It's, it's yeah. a very fun story. I love his voice, obviously, since I recommend his books all the time and this is no different i love magdalis she also she her brother is missing so she also has this like additional quest that she is on and and trying this mystery that she is trying to solve and it just is it's so fun it was like a very it was another it was just very fun and i liked it yeah uh, the sequel came out this year, too. So if you read that one, then there's another one. Yeah, so there's two. I haven't read that one yet. I, I haven't either. I think I'm on a but it's there. audio hold for it or something. I don't... I have so many holds at so many libraries, I lose track of things. But yeah, this is, like, a strong recommend, like everything else from this author. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. Co-signed. Um, but my fourth favorite children's book was Good Enough by Jen Petra Roy. Um, it's another contemporary realistic story. That's it's kind of my jam, I guess. Um, this one is about a girl named Riley who's in recovery from an eating disorder. And a lot of it is um, time spent at an in-person um, treatment center and her meeting other girls uh, with eating disorders and talking to them and, you know... Um, realizing how it looks when other people do the same behaviors that she's been doing. And Jen Petroy is someone who works, um, has a lot of experience like educating about eating disorders. So it's written very, you know, it feels very real. It feels very raw. I don't personally have experience with an eating disorder, but it feels very realistic to me. Um, and it, it talks a lot in, in a very relatable way, I think, about the kinds of media expectations that girls, especially girls, of course, people of all genders can have eating disorders, but I think we all know that girls are targeted more by the kinds of bad media imaging about bodies and exercise and healthy choices and all of that. And it's just, it doesn't feel didactic, but it is something that I think especially young girls will be able to read it and be like, oh yeah, you know, I see that on TV. I understand what she means. Like, I've seen girls doing this and it's just very compassionate. And I, it's it's a heavy read. Like, I cried, but it is also, again, ultimately hopeful and I think just an important book that is also, 
you know, and enjoyable to read. It doesn't feel like this depressing slog, but it is thought-provoking and thoughtful. It's not like a capital I issue book, but it is a book that deals with issues. There you go. Yeah. Uh, so my third, we're on third, right? Third favorite yep. book that I read this year for children uh, was The Forgotten Girl, uh, which is by India Hill Brown. It is a middle grade horror story, and I loved it. Um, it follows the story of Iris, who is a young black girl who's living in a suburban neighborhood and her best friend Daniel lives next door. And on the night of the first snow of the season, she is very excited to go out and play in the snow. It's one of her favorite things, but it starts snowing so late that her mother tells her that she can't go out. So she and Daniel sneak out after everyone else is in bed to play in like the fresh unblemished snow. And they go so that their parents don't see them. They go into uh, a clearing in the woods across the street that children, like all the kids in town, are told not to go into. And she lays down to make a snow angel. And when she stands up, she notices that uh, there was like a rock or something right underneath where she was making her snow angel. And when she looks more closely, she realizes it is a gravestone. And uh, she and Daniel have discovered the remains of a segregated graveyard that has been forgotten. And specifically uh, the grave of Avery Miller. And starting then, um, Iris starts to have what she thinks are really weird dreams about this girl with like black holes for eyes coming into her room at night and begging to play with her and wanting to be remembered and be her friend. And uh, as she and, and Daniel, um, they're, they're assigned, her class is assigned a project to talk about the history of their town. And she and Daniel, based on their discovery, decide that they're going to do forgotten and segregated graveyards in their town. And while researching this, she discovers a picture of the girl, Avery Miller, in a book and realizes the girl in her dreams is Avery Miller. Um, who just wants to Spooky. be remembered. Uh, so she's like, yeah, that's great. I'm doing this project. She'll definitely be remembered after it. And uh, simultaneously, Iris is having a lot of issues with being remembered in her own life. She's the captain of the, the step team at school. Uh, and she is the only team captain who's not invited to a banquet. Um, and that is a frequent thing that happens. She is also, unsurprisingly, the only black team captain. How weird that she's the only one that they forgot. Mm. Um, she has like this really terrible mean girl white classmate who's always dragging her for stupid shit. And she also is dealing with the fact that her younger sister is taking a lot of her parents' attention away. Uh, so she just she generally feels forgotten. So she she sympathizes with Avery to the point where she perhaps cannot see that Avery's intentions are not as good as they initially seem. It was very creepy. It was very atmospheric. The older sibling energy was real, like <laughs> reading Iris dealing with her parents like paying more attention to her sister than her it was just like oh my god i remember those feelings still 
I remember the Valentine's Day that my parents bought me a stand mixer because they hadn't been home for two weeks because they had gone away to deal with my brother having a breakdown in another state, which, you know, <laughs> I understood. <laughs> but also... <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that older sibling energy was real. The friendship between Iris and Daniel was so good. It The book very handled very well, like their difference in personalities and difference in opinions and how they came at this issue from different angles and still ended up in the same place together. And despite their differences and despite their fights, like still thought of each other as their best friend, even though, you know, they, they weren't speaking at the moment. Uh, you know, which which happens. Um, yeah. But it was it was very good. It was very spooky. If you're into spooky stuff, uh, I think the audio is available on Hoopla. It was. I don't know if it still is, but the audiobook narrator was great. Uh, and I definitely recommend the audio. And yeah, it was a very fun read. And it was is good. This is a good time of year for it. Days are getting shorter. Snow keeps fucking falling, despite all of my prayers to the universe. Ghosts keep haunting my dreams. Yeah, you know. Uh, Speaking of ghosts, uh, my third favorite book of the year for middle grade readers was is also a ghost story. Uh, it's but a different kind of ghost story. Uh, it's called Sauerkraut by Kelly Jones, and it's the story of a boy named Hans Dieter Schenk, who goes by HD instead of Hans Dieter, which understandable. Um, he's he's a mixed race boy. His dad is a white, like German American man, which is how he got that name, and his mom is black, and he is um. He's a he's a nerdy boy. He likes building computers and all kinds of like geeky tech stuff, coding stuff. He calls himself a maker. Like he goes to his school's maker space. Hashtag relatable. Um, and that you know that's kind of his jam. Is he likes doing this tech stuff. But um, to earn money, he wants to build a different um, like a fancy computer to enter in to the the 4H fair. And he needs to earn money to buy parts. And so his parents offer to pay him some money to clean out some stuff from the basement. And he finds his, uh, I think it's actually a great grandma, like an ancestor's sauerkraut crock, which is, of course, haunted by this uh, great grandma ghost who really, really wants uh, HD to stop doing his computer stuff and make sauerkraut and enter the family sauerkraut recipe into the county fair and like win the blue ribbon ribbon for sauerkraut and it's which is just like a, a bonkers premise that I really enjoyed um it's it's fun you know it gets into this kind of culture clash not quite a culture clash but you know him exploring his his different roots of his family and getting into sauerkraut and getting into pickling and you know gardening and all of that and just sort of drawing these connections between the kind of making of food and pickling and the kind of you know tech making that he previously has been into and um what you do or do not owe to your family members i guess i'll say and his he has a younger brother you know he also has big sibling energy and has to deal with his younger brother also kind of getting in the way of some of his plans but 
ultimately the family comes together and it's just like a it's just like a fun fun ghost story and a fun um fun county fair story and i think it just has a lot of elements that are going to be pretty relatable to a lot of kids these days is that what that book is about that is what that book is about algorithms keep recommending it to me and it sounds good so i will perhaps pick it up yeah, it's it's maybe not immediately obvious that it does have a ghost in it, and so I could see you being like, "Well, I don't care about sauerkraut, but you do care I about do ghosts." Do care about ghosts. Um, and Kelly Jones, by the way, if the name is familiar to you, she also wrote. Um, well, it has a long title, and I always forget all the words of it. But the uh, ex- exceptional oh, the chickens book. Yeah, exceptional chickens and how to hatch them. I don't know. <laughs> okay, that's. I'm not talking about this book, so I didn't have to look up the title of it, but she wrote those chicken books that I liked, and this is her latest one, and it's also very good. I also like those books, so maybe that is also why the algorithm keeps recommending it to me. Yeah, sometimes the algorithms know what they're up to. Sometimes they don't. (laughs) Uh, So my, what is this, number two? Number Number two. two. My number two middle grade book that I read this year uh, is another book from my book club called uh, A Midsummer's Mayhem. No, not A Midsummer's Mayhem, just Midsummer's Mayhem. Uh, and it's by Rajani LaRocca. And it's delightful. The story is about this girl named Mimi, who is from this very big Indian American family. She's got two sisters and a brother, I believe that's the right number of siblings who are all exceptional at things like not just in her family, but like recognized as exceptional in their community. Her one sister is like the best soccer player in town. Her brother is one of the best actors in town. Uh, Her oldest sister is a dancer, I believe. Um, And like she's in high school and like, People are scouts, dance scouts or whatever are coming to see her. And Mimi feels very, she's the youngest and she feels very overlooked and very unexceptional. But what Mimi does love to do uh, is cook. She loves to bake. And her father, who's a foodie and a food writer, has always encouraged this and and sort of helped her along with it. So uh, one day when she is in town, she notices that a new a bakery has opened that she had never heard of and didn't know was coming in and they are having it's another baking contest book (laughs) um you know a a baking contest is a good solid plot point and there's there's no shame in that uh but she is she notices this bakery is having a baking contest and when she tastes their food she's like wow they really need it because this food is terrible (laughs) And when she is brought to the woman who owns the bakery and told of the baking contest, she is given a special chocolate to encourage her to enter the baking contest. And in her her journey, her baking journey, and she gives it to her father, who has just come back from a trip uh, to write about restaurants in a different state. And... The next day, he starts acting weird and does not seem to have the refined palate that he previously had. 
and she can't figure out what's going on. And then uh, Mimi in the woods behind her house meets a young boy named Vic who also loves to bake. And the two of them keep finding all of this. They find this this mysterious book that talks about like the different properties of um, edible plants. And they keep finding all of these like ed- these plants that shouldn't be growing in Massachusetts where they are. Uh, but they, they they are growing there and they see them. So they are collecting them and baking them into things. And when they bake them into things, weird things keep happening to the people who eat them. And the entire time, like Mimi is just trying to be be herself and accept herself. She's like the one criticism that I have for this book, which is just and it's not. It's not even a criticism because it is so in character for a child to think this. Mimi's not bad at anything. Like she talks, <laughs> she talks about how oh, like she tried this and she quit because she just like wasn't good enough, and she tried this and she quit and she wasn't good enough. And like from the way she describes it, she's pretty good at all those things. But <laughs> but I also you know can see like being the youngest family in this, the youngest in this family full of superstars and everything like trying something and not immediately being the best and deciding never to do it again you know yeah i think that's relatable yes, and and uh the book is also kind of it's not a retelling it's not like a modern retelling of a midsummer night's dream but um in the fandom world we would call it uh maybe a crossover not necessarily like a fusion, hmm. but there, there is, there are very strong, the play A Midsummer's Night's Dream exists in this world. <laughs> but also, okay. uh, some of the characters of the play um, are, are characters in the book. Uh, and it is kind of explained that the play was based on real events that happened. And that those ancient beings, the fairies, are still out there doing their thing um doing a mischief yes huh. and that comes into play as well um i'm doing a very bad job of explaining this fucking delightful book everything about it was just delightful i keep using that word but it's because <laughs> there's no other words because you were so it. delighted by it i was uh, there are recipes included in the back. I did not try to make any of them yet, but I did make a recipe based on a different recipe that Mimi comes up with, and it was delicious. And it it is just all of the characters are wonderful. Mimi's family is wonderful. Like, even though they are all kind of tied up in their own things, like, it's clear they care about each other. You know, even when the, the siblings are fighting, it's clear that at heart like they still do really care um it's a lot of fun i listened to the audio and the audio was incredible yeah it it it's a great it's a great read i highly recommend it obviously because it's my number two book (laughs) yeah sounds good uh my sounds delightful i should say uh my second favorite middle grade book of the year was blended by sharon draper Uh, i have to share it right off the bat so sharon draper of course is an iconic multi-award winning author for young readers of all you know she's written some teen books some for younger readers just for a long time and i was reading goodreads reviews of this book and someone 
gave it like a one star review and it was just like a really shitty review but then it ended with but it's like it showed some promise and I hope she keeps writing and I was like who good reads reviewer this is Sharon Draper (laughs) what are you doing (laughs) it sounds like one of those like sarcastic things that you would be like oh yeah you should keep with it like you might you might be able to make a career out of this one day wink wink it's a joke because you're much more famous than me but that's for real though yeah Uh, so my coworker and I have been joking ever since then, because I immediately, like, furiously read it all out to her at work, and so we've just been joking about how Sharon Draper, like, shouldn't give up, (laughs) keep on trying, and, um, anyway, this is, like, her latest book, I think, Uh, it's pretty recent, anyway, um, and it's, well, it's another contemporary realistic story of a mixed-race girl whose parents are divorced, and her dad, her name is Isabella, And it has some really interesting kind of race and class things happening, and it gets into exploring microaggressions in a way that feels, like, very natural, but it's something where I think a lot of kids could read it and kind of get, like, oh, it, it probably would feel shitty if I said something like that to someone, huh? Like, things that you might think were well-meaning, um, but are shitty to say. And so... Her dad is black, and he is um, he is more wealthy than her mom, who's white, and he's very like he calls her Isabella, and he's very interested in kind of, you know, respectability politics. I mean, like Isabella, people are going to treat you differently because you're black, and you need to always show them like, you know, you always need to set a higher bar for yourself than like white kids do, and that sucks. But like, you just kind of have to keep that in mind. And her mom calls her Izzy, and her mom's kind of more of a free spirit and less concerned about that because uh, she's white. <laughs> and it's for most of the story, it's just this sort of like, you know, school story, and it's her switching back, getting used to switching back between her dad's house and her mom's house, and dealing with the sort of minor squabbles between recently divorced parents and like the stress that that puts on her and the stress of people saying shitty things to her at school. Uh, and then near the end of it, uh, she's out with her older brother who also, also is mixed race, but also appears black and they get into a horrible misunderstanding with the police. And it just like really, brings in all these themes that had been slowly building throughout the book and it's it, it's shocking when it happens but then you're also like oh no that all that's a bummer and that checks out um and it's just like she's a a delightful narrator um no now i'm saying delightful you know what we're talking about our best books and they're all delightful okay it's yeah, a good word they're just they're just delightful um and it, yeah it's just uh it's a it's a fun story, but it is also something that's very relatable and something that I think you could use in a classroom setting or you could use it to sort of launch a bigger discussion. But again, I don't, it didn't really feel didactic. It's just something where, like, that's kind of what life is like now for a lot of people of color in this country. And here we are. Anyway, keep, keep up the good work, Sharon Draper. <laughs> Maybe one day you'll win an award. 
Yeah. Maybe one day you'll have an award named after you. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so, of course, that's what the Goodreads review, you know, like, too much politics and, like, children's books and, like, why are the police like this? Like, well, because they fucking are like this, and I'm sorry about it, but... <laughs> <sighs> oh, God, the world is broken. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so my first favorite middle grade book that I read this year is perhaps my favorite book I read all year. I It is one of those books that I read and I was like, this is the kind of book that I want to write. Like, everything about it was great. I, like, I, I loved every aspect of it. Everything, it, it was so good and creepy and... I guess I should say the name of the book, which is Small Spaces by Catherine Arden. Uh, it is the first in a short series. I have been on a hold for the second book for so long that I, in in reading, reminding myself of what all the characters are named in these books, because I have to do that before this episode every time, Um I was like, you know what, like, next time I get paid, I'm just gonna fucking buy the audiobook of number two, because I can't wait any longer. This is driving me bananas. But it, it's uh, a book about a young girl named Ollie, who uh, about a year ago, her mother died very tragically. Uh, she was very close to her mother. And ever since that happened, she has been withdrawing from everyone around her. Um, she quit the softball team. She quit the chess club. She doesn't engage in class anymore, but she has the sort of memory where she can do, which which I sometimes have this ability as well. So I related to that where you can do other things and keep one ear on what's happening in class and then be able to answer any questions that anyone might ask you. She can remember almost anything that she's read and essentially uses that to spend all of her time in school just reading and ignoring class and giving que answering questions when required and just being in like a, a grief cloud. Uh, while she is headed home from school one day, she finds this crazed looking woman trying to get rid of a book uh, in the creek by her house. And she's like, you don't throw out books. Like, give me that book. If you don't want it, I'll keep it. And the woman keeps saying like, no, like I have to destroy it. He says that I have to destroy it and I have to do it in a certain way. And she's like, whatever, lady, I'm going to take your book and ride my bike away very quickly now. Mm -hmm. uh, and the book is called Small Spaces and uh, it's very old. And it, Whoa, that's the name of that book. I know, it's wild, recursive. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, it's called Small Spaces and it is a book that was written by a woman in the late 1800s and it kind of tells her life story and how it is clearly written to her child and how the events that have that have unfurled are going to affect her family for generations going forward uh so ollie is reading this like periodically throughout the book as she and her class get ready to go to a a trip to a local farm that has turned into a kind of farm tourism sort of thing where it's like still a working farm, but they make a lot of money as like also an Airbnb and also doing school field trips and stuff like that. Uh, and her class is there and her classmates include Brian, who's on the hockey team and who is very popular 
and Ollie just doesn't like him for reasons that she's like, well, he's very popular and whatever. And also she recently threw a rock at his head by accident. <laughs> I mean, she threw the rock on purpose, but it was, uh, she was, I think, aiming for someone else. And he, but he was like real, he did not, he was impressed that she, she could throw so well. <laughs> um, and Coco, who is uh, new to the area and uh, is kind of a city girl and is new to this sort of rural Vermont town uh, and is teased a lot because she uh, she sticks out. She's got dyed pink hair and she's very bubbly and kind of comes off as ditzy despite the fact that she's very smart and she's very clumsy and while she's on the trip to this farm, she starts to discover a lot of parallels between the book and what's happening and starts to think that maybe the farm that they're at is the farm that is discussed in the book and that the creature that is after the family of the characters in the book could possibly also be out for them as well. And while they, they the whole class gets on a bus to go back home at the end of the day and then the bus stops and the fog rolls in and the bus driver says uh, something to the effect of like, well, you better leave now because they'll be coming for you soon enough. And her watch, which is broken uh, and was her mother's starts flashing at her that like she needs to get out. So she decides to listen to it and she leaves uh, and Brian and Coco are the only one of her, the only of her classmates that follow her and at once they are in the woods across the street, they see that the creepy scarecrows at the farm are coming for her classmates on the bus. Uh, and the three of them are stuck navigating through this weird, misty other realm uh, based only on the clues that they have in the book Small Spaces and the messages that she's getting on her watch that she thinks are maybe coming from her dead mother. It is so atmospheric. It's so creepy. The characters are all so great. The friendships that these three kids are able to forge, they happen so naturally. Uh, Ali is very prickly in the wake of what happened to her mother uh, and does not want to be friends with these people or even really spend time with them. And her like slow acclimation to accepting their help and friendship um, and the way that they all kind of push past their preconceived notions and become friends with each other and admit that they were wrong about each other while all this creepy shit is happening. Um, Ollie finally accepting that there's no way that her mother can really come back and that she needs to move forward in her life. Uh, and it's just so fucking creepy. It's so good. This is another one where the audio was amazing and I highly recommend it. But yeah, someone, someone on, uh, to quote another Goodreads review, someone <laughs> on Goodreads posted a review that said, I would read Catherine Arden's shopping list if she published it. <laughs> <laughs> Which like, after reading this book, I feel that it is just, it's great. It's like I said, probably my favorite book that I read this year. Um, I'm going to read a little bit of it to you so you can understand how great it is. Um, so this is when Ollie and Brian and Coco are on the bus still um, right after it has stopped. Uh, 
or right when it is stopping. Um, and it includes a little bit of small spaces, which Ollie is reading on the bus. Ollie took the seat next to Brian again. She wondered what Brian, who quoted Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, would think about the mystery of Misty Valley and small spaces. She didn't know what to think herself. She opened her book. Three nights later, Jonathan disappeared. He had made a will. The farm was mine for my lifetime and our children after I was gone. The farm I now leave to you, Margaret, my dearest daughter. He also left me a letter. Do not try to find me, he wrote. I love you. I am sorry. But we searched. Of course we searched. We found nothing. A week after his brother's disappearance, Caleb came to me. I know where John is, he said. I know what you're thinking, I said, but the smiling man isn't real. John just made him up. He was frightened, and he felt guilty, and he made him up. But even as I said it, I didn't believe it, and Caleb knew I didn't. The smiling man pulled me out of the river, said Caleb. I can't remember anything else from that night, but I remember his hands on mine, and mine were blue. Caleb paused. Jonathan's not gone, you know. At night, I can hear his footsteps. Caleb swallowed. I can go to him. I can go to where he is, so John won't be alone. I shouldn't have said it, my dear Margaret. I shouldn't have, but I did. Go to him then, madman, I spat. If you think you can, don't come back. It's your fault he's gone. Caleb wasn't angry. He stood silent a moment. Then he bent and whispered in my ear, until the mist becomes rain. Then he was gone. I never saw Caleb or Jonathan again. Something changed in the quality of noise on the bus. Ollie looked up from her book, frowning. The shouting had dropped, even the monotonous urging for Mr. Easton to sit down, please, and be quiet seemed different, distracted. Puzzled. Ollie looked out the window, peering around Brian. A heavy fog had descended on the road, the black tops of trees poking up like drowning fingers. The left side of the road was forest. On the right, the cornfield stretched out, guarded by scowling scarecrows. The mist was so dense that it threw the headlights back into their eyes. The bus was rolling along at a crawl. Ollie's hands tightened involuntarily on her book. There were murmurs all around, nervous giggling. So weird. Look at that fog. I have to pee. The bus was crawling slower and slower. The mist thickened. Ollie didn't recognize where they were. She didn't even know how long they had been driving. She stared out the window. When the mist rises. But the year wasn't turning. Also, her book was just a story. They drifted to a halt. The, boss the bus coughed and died. For a moment, total silence. Then a burst of noise. I think the bus broke down. I want to go home. We're lost, yelled Mike Campbell, even though that was stupid. How could they be lost? Ollie was still staring out the window. The yellow autumn trees had turned black and spindly as though winter had come in in the last three minutes. The broad, smooth country road had become an old, cracked ribbon, running away and vanishing into the trees until still lapped in mist. Where were they? Slowly, the bus driver stood up. The shouting died away. The driver turned around. He seemed to have gotten both taller and wider. Well, said the driver, surveying them, best get moving. At nightfall, they'll come for the rest of you. Spooky. 
good spooky book. Uh, well, my favorite middle grade book of the year was Dear Sweet Pea by Julie Murphy, uh, who has written several young adult books, including um, Dumplin' and Puddin', which I think have made our various lists in the past, but this is her first middle grade novel, and it is delightful. I'll say it. Um, it's the story of a girl who's, whose nickname is Sweet Pea, as you might have guessed, and um, she is a 12-year-old girl living in Texas. Um, she is fat, and that's a part of the story. There's moments where, like, she and her mom go to try to get a dress for a school formal, and there aren't any good plus-size dresses, and so she has to go online shopping, and it's just like, that's very relatable, and something that you you don't see that often in books, um, especially not maybe middle grade books, but it's also not, you know, Ju if you know Julie Murphy at all, like she herself is a fat woman. This is something that's important to her and it's not written in a shamey way. It's just like, you know, the Sweet Pea's mom kind of picks a fight in the store and is like, women wear this size. Why don't you carry the size? Like, screw you guys. And that's just, it's just kind of like an affirming side plot. Hashtag relatable. <laughs> Hashtag relatable, hashtag mood, um, hashtag modcloth, please sponsor our show, <laughs> etc. Um, but the, the main plot is Sweet Pea's parents have um, gotten divorced, and so she, but they her dad bought a house on the same street as her mom's house, so she just kind of goes down the street when she's changing parent, and she's still... Um, so it's it's been a very amicable divorce, but it's still weird, and she's still trying to deal with that. And the woman who lives between her mom's house and her dad's house is the advice columnist for the um, for the local paper, and she whose name is um, Fl Flora May, yes, um, Miss Flora May, and so. Sweet Pea is kind of friends with Flora May and kind of writes her letters sometimes. And then Miss Flora May goes on vacation and she asks for Sweet Pea to go and check her mail and forward the mail to her at her sister's house. I think she's staying with. And of course, uh, Sweet Pea uses this as an opportunity to sneak in some of her own letters and some of her own answers and get them in the paper and she is, you know, having some middle school friend drama and her former best friend is writing letters. And so Sweet Pea is sort of anonymously answering the letters. And it's just, you know, there aren't so many stories. I, th I think this is sort of a new trend now that authors are dealing with friendship breakup and friendship, um, you know, hot and cold patches as something. I mean, that's something that's such a big part of middle school, high school, just of life experience. But so many more books are about, you know, romantic relationships ending or starting. And so it is nice to see friendship being paid this due. And it's handled so well here. It's so it's so funny, but also moving and and empathetic for everyone involved. And it's just it's really, really enjoyable on every level. And I think it has been optioned by Disney to be made into a TV series or movie, um, which I think is a great call. I'll watch it. And I'm going to read you just a little bit from the beginning. Like, this is the first 
chapter, and you'll see why. Immediately, I was like, I'm in love with this book. I pledge myself to this book, and here we go. Um, This is her best friend, Oscar, is helping her pack up stuff to go from her mom's house to her dad's house. Um, Lift with your knees, I say, mimicking what I've heard Mr. McMullen shout at his employees from behind his desk at Love's Hardware. I wasn't built for grunt work, says Oscar as he heads for the door. You got the last box? Yep. See you over there. I squat down to tape the flaps of the final box shut before standing, doing my best to lift with my knees. What does that even mean anyway? And why did I cram so much stuff in this box? But then, just as I steady myself, a growling meow vibrates from inside the box. Holy crud! I snap and drop it on the rug. Another meow, this one a little softer. Oh, cheese, I'm so sorry. I rip the tape from the box. Cheese, you gotta forgive me, buddy. Cheese is my 15-pound orange tabby. No wonder the thing was heavier than I expected. He leaps from the box full of random desk clutter and saunters out of my bedroom, his tail slapping the doorframe. Cheese, I call once more. I wasn't paying attention. I'm sorry. What can I say? The cat can hold a grudge. Like kitty, like owner. I tap my index finger to the side of my head, hoping I'll remember to give him a few extra treats tonight to make up for my rude behavior. Cheese was our big family Christmas present when I was six years old. I was given the honor of choosing his name and decided to call him Cheese because he looked like Cheese. I don't know. I was six, okay? In hindsight, I should have named him after my favorite cheese, Havarti. So, yeah, it's just, it's just funny and sweet. And as as a bonus, there's a fat cat named Cheese in it. And I couldn't ask for anything more than the book. <laughs> it sounds good. It's been on my list. I don't know why I haven't read it yet. Probably because there are so many books to read. There's too many, arguably. Okay, so my least favorite book uh, for middle grade readers that I read this year was My Life as an Ice Cream Sandwich by E.B. Zoboy. It was fine. This was a book that had a character, a, a protagonist who I really liked. It was set in an interesting time period There were a lot of interesting issues at play, and I just feel like it maybe didn't live up to its potential for me. Um, I wanted to really like it, and I didn't hate it. It was fine. But when I when we chose it for my book club, I think I was I was hoping for just a little bit more out of it. Um, I think which is something that I say a lot when especially for middle grade books, I think when I'm, when I don't connect with a book I wanted to connect with, I think that it's an important book um, because the protagonist is um, a little black girl who's autistic. Although that word is not used, it is very clearly intended to be that way. Um, But because the book takes place in the mid eighties, that's not, as common a diagnosis, especially for girls, especially for black girls. Uh, so everyone just thinks that she's weird. Uh, Ebony, Ebony Grace is the, the, the character that I'm speaking of. And she has been sent to live with her father 
uh, away from her mother and her grandfather, who she loves, for an unspecified amount of time. At first, it's going to be a week, and then it looks like it might be a month, and then it looks like it might be all summer. Her father, meanwhile, has been kind of begging her mother to let Ebony Grace live with him ever since they split up. But her mother um, has a good job uh, down in Alabama where she lives. And her grandfather, who she adores, is an engineer for NASA and also, you know, has a a good job and a good life down there. And her father up in Harlem um, is a mechanic and has some kind of shady dealings. So her mother is very has been very like, no, like you can't even go to visit. Um, but now something is happening with her grandfather, which is never specified in the book. Like we talked about it at my book club, what we thought his crime was, and we all came up with different things. Something's happening with her grandfather that all of the people in church are gossiping about something that is big enough that it would have been in the papers and he lost his job at NASA and his mo- her mother doesn't want her to talk to him anymore, but it's never clear what it was. So while that is happening, she's sent to stay with her her father for the summer. And Ebony Grace is obsessed with science fiction, specifically Star Trek, uh, but also Star Wars. And she kind of retreats into her fantasy world um, and creating stories and creating adventures for herself in her mind are her way of escaping things. Um, She's very sensitive to like loud noises and overstimulation, which as you can imagine, New York City in the mid mid 80s is very different than Alabama (laughs) in that regard. So she's having like a real problem adjusting her New York best friend who she hasn't seen since she was very little has grown out of the creating stories and making things up kind of phase of her life. And now like has cool friends and is in like a dance team that she thinks that ebony grace like isn't cool enough for and she's just like having a very hard time adjusting to all of this and the reason that i can't nail down a through plot for this book is because it didn't super have one it kind of which is part of my problem the problem that i personally had with it was that i really had wanted like a through line of how all of these things come together over the course of her summer And they don't really like some things cross over with each other, but not in a really satisfying narrative way. And I know that's how life is sometimes, but sometimes you want more connection from an actual narrative, but it like all of the time period stuff is really interesting. All the historical stuff about like what Harlem was like in 1984 and what, um, you know, these kids lives were like and what, it's 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 interesting and it's the voice is very good ebony grace's voice is amazing all of the stories that she makes up the characters she makes up the worlds that she creates with her grandfather are very interesting but it just didn't come together for me in a way that i wanted it to you know like i said if any of this sounds interesting to you it's still something that i would say like take a look at it i'm glad that it's out there but i really wish it would connect it with me more than it ended up doing fair enough uh my least favorite book of the year is something that uh 
I'm sorry. I'm sorry to say it. But also, um, I really don't read a ton of middle grade books unless they are specifically recommended to me or it's for a book club, which this one was. So I, you know, we already gave this preface, but for me especially, I don't read a ton of middle grade. So my worst book isn't something that's terrible. But it is Witch Week by Diana Wynne-Jones, who I know, please put down your pitchforks. Like, I know she is an iconic author. Like, I loved Howl's Moving Castle. I've loved some for other books. And this one just, like, didn't hit me right. And I think also part of it was just I wasn't in the right mood for it. And I thought it was going to be kind of a fun, you know magic boarding school caper and instead it's more like a magical dystopia which is resolved and it is it's part of the crestomancy <laughs> series i guess which i haven't read uh except for this one and i guess there's like parallel universes and the crestom crestomancy rinser somebody has to go around and like fix these universes so that's the point of it, but I didn't like it. I was just like, this is a bummer. I'm bummed out. Like, people are dying. Uh, I thought this was going to be more fun than it is. Uh, but that's on me. And anyway, it, it's it's well done. It's, like, evocative of what it's trying to be. It's just, like, not what I wanted to read. And again, I just didn't read anything worse to um, to say instead of this book. Sorry. It's okay. This was actually my pick. We wanted to read something by Diana Wynne-Jones and specifically not Howl's Moving Castle. And this is, I love the Crestomancy books. And I mm-hmm. thought that this was a good standalone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <for laughs> this was not an unpopular opinion at our book club. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, like I, I can see, I can see the appeal of it. Like I can, I can reach it. It just like wasn't for me at this time which is fine um before we move on to YA I did want to give a shout out to another book that I am probably going to forget to put on my list next year because I'm literally in the middle of it right now um so I didn't finish it in time to get it on a list this year um because I saw Moby Dick last night and that shit is three and a half hours long and I did not have time to come home and finish this book like I thought I might. Uh, it's fucking good, though. If you are listening to this and Moby Dick is still playing at the ART, go. Um, it's fucking weird. Uh, but um, The Mighty Heart of Sunny St. James by Ashley Herring Blake. Uh, my hold on it finally came in and it's just I love it so far. Ashley Herring Blake wrote my favorite book of last year for middle grade, uh, Ivy Aberdeen's Letter to the World. Um, And thematically, there's a lot of similar stuff in here about, um, you know, a young girl discovering that she's queer and trying to shake out like what that means and what that means for her friendships and for her, um, her life. Uh, But also in particular, Sunny uh, has just had a heart transplant So there's this whole other layer of like her trying to create like a new life because she now has like a new life thanks to this donor heart and who she wants the new Sunny to be. Um, And it's so good so far. And I just, I love every character so much. (laughs) And I probably will forget by this time next year that I read this within that period of you know book booking so yeah 
I just wanted to shout that out while I had the chance. All right. Yeah, it sounds good. Um, my coworker has been book talking it to middle schools and her book talk made me want to read it. But I haven't yet because there's too many books, you guys. Speaking of which, let's move on to young adult where I read way more young adult books this year and had a much harder time picking a top five. So let's dig into my struggle. Go for it. Um, well, first of all, I do want to say, um, in case you were wondering what Duarte's favorite book of the year was, and I, I bet you were, um, I would have to report to you that it's Queen of Nothing by Holly Black. And if you're not familiar with that trilogy, the the titular Queen of Nothing is named Jude Duarte. So, of course, of course, Duarte likes to see that Duarte representation out there. <laughs> um and this is in no way just me trying to cheat and have six favorite books. It's definitely <laughs> Dorte's favorite book. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> um, my fifth favorite YA book of the year was I, Claudia by Mary McCoy, which was a Prince Honor winner last year. And so I read it at the very beginning of this year. And it's one that had been recommended to me before the Prince... And I know you're not supposed to judge a book by its cover, but the cover is so bad, and the description of it isn't that thrilling either. So I was just like, yeah, it's probably good, but like, I don't know, it looks so boring, and I just don't want to read this boring book. And then it won the Prince Honor, and I was like, fine, I guess I'll check out this boring book. And it's really good, and it really just needs a better cover and a better... um like blur It just needs to be packaged better, and someone should really do something about that. But I can't, so I'm just going to use my podcast to tell you about it. Um, but at the same time, I'm also not sure how to summarize it better because so much of what is enjoyable about it is just this like very sharp, biting, narratorial voice. And, you know, it's it's narrated by Claudia, as you can guess. And I guess that it is sort of a retelling of I, Claudius, which I have never read, so I can't really speak to that. But it is it does have these kind of, like, Roman history um, parallels running through it. Which, again, it sounds boring. I'm sorry if you like Roman history, but I don't. I'm like, boring, boring, boring. But it's not. It's, it's more um, maybe kind of like a Veronica Mars or, like, a... It's just a really sharp look at, like, high school politics and the dark side of what high schoolers can get up to when they get a little bit of power to them, especially with it being, it's a very prestigious um, L.A. day school where most of the kids are the children of, like, Silicon Valley billionaires and uh, just, just this dark look at what is happening at this school, but it's, it's very funny and very cutting and very, um, ultimately kind of moving as Claudia has her, as her art comes to an end, I guess I'll say, I don't know. So it's I, Claudia by Mary McCoy, hard to describe, has a terrible cover. Super good though. Just super good. I, well, I might have to check that out because I similarly, uh, was like, mm, that's not a good cover. So bad. <laughs> and I've had mis mixed success this year with books that uh, fold in historical elements to a, a more uh, diverse plot, as we'll get to mm. when we get to the end of my list of books. 
But this is my fifth favorite book, which is Keep This to Yourself by Tom Ryan. Uh, if you listen to this podcast, which I imagine you do, because otherwise, <laughs> why are you listening now? <laughs> if you don't listen to this podcast, but this voice is mysteriously playing in your ears. <laughs> Hello. If this is your first day, if you were like, I'm going to start listening to this bad books podcast on a day where they're talking about good books. Welcome. Um, Welcome and hello. Yes. Thank you for joining us. Um, we don't normally, we're not normally this positive. Um, but if you listen to this podcast, then you know that I am constantly um, looking for good, like, mysteries and horror novels and, like, all of the genres that I like to read. I'm constantly looking for a good book that fits those genres, but that has a queer protagonist. And this was one that did. Hallelujah. Keep This to Yourself is sort of a murder mystery pulled from the point of view of Mac, who is queer and who is mourning his best friend, Connor, who he also maybe had feelings for, who was the final victim of the catalog killer last year. The catalog killer was terrorizing their like little tiny tourist town killing people and leaving like photos from a catalog that match the the people in question and it was never the crime was never really solved they kind of like vaguely were like oh probably some sort of drifter did it and he's gone now so we're all safe but Mac has not been able to kind of let it sit because he's just graduated high school. You know, his the, the center, his friend group has dissolved because Connor was the center of it and now he's gone. And one day, not long after graduation, he goes through a bunch of his uh, stuff and he finds the last thing that Connor gave him, which was a bag of comic books where they would normally like they would buy different titles and then swap. And it was a bag that Connor had left for him the night that he died. And there was a note in it that said, like, come meet me by the beach tonight at 7 p.m. Keep this to yourself or something to that effect. Like, Some, you know, something you, like the title of the book. Yes. But, you know, come meet me at this place at this time. It's important. And, you know, don't tell anyone. So Connor thinks, like, this is maybe a clue because maybe he had figured out, like, who the killer was or something. And he brings it to the police and the police are kind of like, well, like we did what we could do. Like he's gone now. There's nothing more to it. And uh, Mac is convinced that there is something else going on. And he decides he's going to investigate the murders again now and see if maybe he could figure out who the killer actually is. I will say this as a person who reads a lot of mysteries. It was fairly clear to me by like, a third to half of the way through what the end of the plot was. But like, I don't necessarily read these things in order to be shocked. I just like this type of story. And also I'm good at guessing how things are going to end, <laughs> which is something that I hate because I wish I could be surprised by more things, much like I am now dead inside and horror movies can't scare me anymore. And I mourn the part of me that used to be able to, be frightened when watching a scary movie um you can have some of mine 
<laughs> I, I wish if there was a way that I could take your movie fear and put it into my body, I would do it in a heartbeat. This actually sounds like the premise for a horror movie, and it ends up with both of us being like emotionally ruined. Let's um, kickstart it. <laughs> but even though I could figure out pretty quickly how the book was going to end, like I, it still was. I thought a decent mystery. The characters were all pretty great. I wish there was a little bit more development for Max' love interest. Um, who is a cousin of one of the folks who was killed the summer before and who has also been investigating. And, but I mean, even that, like it, it really hit my, it, it could have been a little bit more. So my like ideal mystery ratio is somewhere between like 60 to 70% mystery or horror or thriller and then like 30 to 40 percent romance this was probably like 80 to 90 percent mystery and 10 to 20 percent romance so there could have been a little bit more romance um but even then like it was just i was just so happy to be reading a mystery about a queer person that wasn't written by james patterson great well my fourth favorite YA book of the year was Captain Marvel, colon, Liberation Run by Tess Sharp. Um, I don't think we've made big secrets here at Worst Bestsellers Headquarters that we are huge fans of Captain Marvel in in pretty much any incarnation we can get her. Um, and I have also definitely talked about how I'm excited that um, both Marvel and DC seem to be focused on putting out these YA prose novels about these characters and getting you know, legit authors to write them. Tess Sharp has written other young adult and adult books that are good. So this is just all around winning combination. And then the book itself um, was so smart and so fun and kind of shades of like a handmaid's tale and um, centered around it, this like queer alien couple who needed, um, needed shelter from their oppressive regime and of course carol's all over that and still willing to call out like oh yeah like your planet sucks but earth also kind of sucks but uh anyway we'll we'll help out as best we can um it's it's a it's a sharp pun not intended but i'll go with it it's a sharp plot and sharp commentary and carol is awesome and just extra, extra bonus stars because it also has Scott Lang, a.k.a. Ant-Man, and his daughter Cassie, and it reveals that Scott reads all the books that Cassie reads so that he can talk to her about them. So it canonically states that Scott Lang has read Sweet Valley High, and that <laughs> is incredible! <laughs> That's all I want from a book. I want a character to have a fat cat, I want Scott Lang to read Sweet Valley High. Um, That's all I want. And it's really fun. If you like Captain Marvel, you know, it's not, it's sort of an alternate universe from the movie and from the, con it's, it's just sort of a re, not quite a reboot, but um, it's these characters in a sort of different setting. But if you love Carol, you'll like this book. If you like feminism, you'll like this book. If you like Scott Lang reading Sweet Valley High, you'll fucking love this book. <laughs> Uh, so my, what are we for? My fourth favorite YA book that I read this year was Love from A to Z by S.K. Ali. This was just a very delightful little romance. 
um, with Muslim protagonists, which was pretty cool. <laughs> it's about Zainab and Adam. Um, and they are two teens who are uh, currently in different parts of the world. Zainab is in America. Uh, Adam is at in college in the UK. And they are both, they both keep Marvel and Oddity journals, which is something they both started after seeing the same piece of ancient artwork. And Zainab has just been suspended from school for a dumb reason um, for talking about there is a very racist teacher at their school who is very Islamophobic. And she and some of her other Muslim friends in school have been digging into his past to find proof that he is essentially like has like terrible trolling islamophobic twitter accounts that he's using to bring evidence of this to the to the school and he discovers it and willfully misinterprets it into a threat against him and so thus she is suspended uh for like a week and it's also right before spring break and over spring break she was supposed to um, go to Doha in Qatar to visit her aunt and her mother's like, we're just going to send you there early. Like we'll just send you there and everything will be fine. And like spend some time decompressing and, you know, dealing with this. Um, and unfortunately, like in getting caught, she has also sort of exposed this like secret network of people who were digging into this guy to try and expose his greater sins. So her friends are kind of pissed at her simultaneously. Um, Adam has recently been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, which uh, ultimately uh, contributed to his mother's death several years before. Um, and... Upon finding this diagnosis, he has dropped out of school and has not told his parent, his father and his little sister yet and is home for uh, spring break and reconnecting with all of his friends at uh, the international high school that he attended uh, in Doha when he was younger. And Zainab's aunt teaches at that school and was Adam, one of Adam's teachers. So they end up going to the same party and connecting. But even before that, like they're on, they're in the airport at the same time and they each notice the other one had a Marvel and Oddity journal, but they don't get a chance to talk to each other about it. It's just like a really interesting book about different types of coincidences kind of weaving together between these two people, drawing them together and kind of forcing them to work out their issues with each other and their larger issues in their lives in order to really be together in a way that feels uh, genuine to them. It was, it was very good. It was very, the characters were so good. I felt really bad for each of them, even when they were like doing stupid things. I was mad that they were doing stupid things, but also still so sympathetic to them. Um, the tone and the voice are so good. Um, it's written from alternating points of view and it never, you know, sometimes when that happens, everyone kind of sounds the same, but these kids definitely didn't. Um, there's a lot of interesting subplots about um, racism and Islamophobia and 
um, white privilege that are kind of peppered throughout in the background that kind of feed into Zainab's big thing is that she's just angry. She's angry all the time because of like how she is treated and how um, people of her faith are treated and you know, what all of the atrocities in the world. And she has to kind of learn how to use that in a good way, as opposed to just lashing out in an unproductive manner. And it it just, it was so interesting. And the two characters had so much chemistry and were so cute together. And I really liked it. Except, except... One of the things that Zainab does to chill out is watch a YouTube series, a YouTube cooking series that is just cooking with no talking. It is just videos of people very calmly, like Great British Bake Off with no commentary. Folks like in competition, cooking things with each other. And you just it's just cooking sounds as they work. I desperately want this to be real. I have never wanted anything more in my life, I feel, which is kind of a lie because I did go see Moby Dick last night and I really wanted that to be a thing and it it is now. And it is in Cambridge. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, I'm so lucky. Uh, But I I just, I literally, as soon as I finished the book, I started like Googling and YouTubing and it had, I thought it had to have been a thing. It had to have been a thing somewhere and it's not. So if you need an idea for a good YouTube channel, like cooking without talking Sounds great. Could you not just watch a cooking show with unmute? Well, because then you don't get the cooking sounds. Mm. All right. Well, yeah, if if you know about that, or if you want to film yourself cooking without talking, I guess send it to Kate. I, I, I like the talking, personally. I mean, I do sometimes. Like, I love Great British Bake Off is one of my, like, zone out calm down shows but also sometimes i think like i would like like an asmr everyone's just cooking and you don't have to think you can just listen and be calmed by it all right well fair enough my third favorite young adult book of the year was the revolution of birdie randolph by brandy colbert um it's a contemporary realistic story um about a black teenage girl named Bertie Randolph, you can imagine. Um, she lives in Chicago, which I have talked about on the show before. That's always an appeal factor for me when books are set in Chicago, um, such as such Divergent, or this book, which is better. Um, and it's just, um, you know, a, a realistic coming-of-age story. Bertie is a black teen girl, and... Uh, kind of like in Blended, and I'm sure in other books and in other lived experiences, um, her parents are very strict with her and very much like, you're a black woman, people are going to be shitty to you, you need to be a straight-A student, you need to do everything just right, and um, and Birdie is starting to feel resentful of this and sort of wants to just be able to have fun and be a teenage girl and not have to worry about being a total model citizen all the time, which, yeah, fair enough. Um, Meanwhile, her aunt is coming to stay with them. Her aunt has been struggling with addiction for Birdie's whole life, and so she hasn't really had a chance to get to know her. She's been, you know, in and out of homelessness, in and out of different treatment facilities, and now she's staying with them. And 
Birdie really connects with her aunt, but her parents are nervous about this because, like I just said, they're very strict with her. Um, she also is entering into a flirtation with a guy who has spent some time in juvenile detention, so she knows her parents are going to totally freak out if they find out about that, but she knows that he's a really good guy and it wasn't fair how he was treated and like what happened to him. And so she's trying to figure out a way to be able to like make her own choices and live her own life under, under her parents' roof and her parents are doing what they think is best. And it's just, you know, her voice is so strong. It's, it's a really um, compelling story and the way things work out with her family is, um, is satisfying to read, and it's something that just, um, I think, really will resonate with a lot of people. Sounds good. Oh, and one other factor I should mention, just because you don't get a lot of this um, canonically in books, is there is an asexual character in it as well, and that is, um, you know, you don't see the word asexual used often in in books, although it is something that is increasing in um, I don't want to say popularity, increasing in awareness of, I guess. So yeah, and increasing in representation. There you go. Um, so my third favorite book of the year for young adults was Dig by A.S. King. Um, we recommend A.S. King a lot on this show. I don't think this is her first rodeo in our favorite books of the year. Nah, and I'll just chime in. I fucking love this book also, and I had it in my long list of favorites. And then when I saw Kate was talking about it, I was like, I'll let Kate talk about it and make another room in my top five. But yes. I will I will steal this moment to also say it's so good, though. Yes, and feel free to jump in at any point. Um, in an interesting <laughs> twist, I feel like usually when you're listening to the podcast, I am the one who remembers everything that happened in what order and I'm able to push through the summary in that way when Renata might sometimes lose her way. Uh, I have a <laughs> much worse memory for things over time, though. Uh, so I read this book, like, right after it came out. I think I bought it. Um, that's how much I love A.S. King. I think I fucking bought this book when it came out instead of uh, taking it out of the library. So it was like a year ago. <laughs> yeah, I think it came out in March. Yeah. Um, so my memory really uh, disintegrates over time, but I will do my best. Well, and- I mean, A.S. King's style is such that it doesn't really matter. I mean, it matters what happens, but it's so much more about the experience of reading it and, like, the style and the surrealism of it than, like, A to B plot points. Yes, correct. So uh, the book is about... A lot of things. Uh-huh. <laughs> the story is about um, several teenagers who we, the story is told from their point of view. We don't necessarily learn their names until much later into um, into their narrative. Yeah, they have kind of stylized nicknames. Yes. Um, all of them have, have um, different things that they are called throughout the text and that they call each other and their chapters are headed as such. So we have... Um, the shoveler who has just moved uh, to town with his single mom and is starting in a new school for uh, not the first time and has taken to carrying around a small snow shovel with him wherever he goes. Um, Can I help you who uh, lives in the same small town 
and works at Arby's and also sells drugs out of the Arby's drive-thru. Loretta, who does get a name, um, and she lives with her parents in a trailer that is infested with fleas that she keeps in a flea circus that she is convinced that she is has the ringmistress of and is is trying to train them in different ways and they all have different names and are important to her um there's malcolm who also gets a name and he is his father is dying of cancer and because of this his father has kind of has this lazy laissez-faire view of school and life and uh takes frequent trips to the caribbean and brings uh malcolm with him constantly like every few weeks mm-hmm. trips that it seems like they can't really afford in yes. the long run and malcolm uh when malcolm's sto- part of the story kind of starts his father has said like i need to go do things i don't need you to be here for parts of like i'm i'm dying and i need some time to be dying without you seeing me this way so you're going to stay with your grandparents and what we oh and um what's the the freak yeah who is can can make herself kind of jump to different places different locations um at various times and each of them have their own stories of things that they're going through that are layered with the story of um, Gottfried and, and Marla, who are the the head of this sprawling family that they sort of talk about, like they're ungrateful children who don't come to visit them anymore and are going through like their own weird shit. And it's all layered together through these kids' perspectives of how their parents have fucked them up and how society has fucked them up and how the world is broken and how their family is broken. And uh, we discover over time that they are all actually cousins and do not real. I mean, some of them know that they're cousins because some of them have seen each other at various holiday things, but some of them... Uh, the shoveler in particular is has not been a part of the family for a very long time and is actually hired by Godfrey to paint the house without them realizing that connection. I'm doing a really bad job of explaining this book. It is a very... It's int- hard to explain. It's really... I mean, if you're familiar with A.S. King, her books don't... It's sort of like a borderline magical realism. Like, there's not necessarily a linear sense to it it really is just sort of very evocative and very exploring these characters through metaphor and just i I mean the title is dig there's a lot of um literal and metaphorical digging and just sort of uncovering family secrets and how um, racism and poverty and classism can like create these these festering pockets in a family in society and how you kind of have to excavate them to be able to move on but how it's also not an excuse to use to 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 wave away you know these this sort of all of these issues like it's it's very interesting it, it's very um there's a lot of a lot of dissection of white privilege, even from people who are quote unquote woke 
and mm-hmm. how that can pollute their lives, how, how that can pollute your life, even if you have like the best of intentions, things that you need to keep aware of. It's it's just very good and it's very weird and it's very hard to describe. But if you yeah, like you should a- just read it. Yeah, if you just read it. If you like AS King books and you haven't read this one, you'll probably like it. If you don't haven't read any AS King books, but you like kind of weird, twisty social commentary with very biting character voices and interesting familial issues all sort of tied together with how terrible the world is then you'll really like this yeah i i think this is her best book yet and i've loved all of her books yeah i would i would maybe agree with that it was phenomenal (sighs) all right so good af king she did have a middle grade book come out this year that i haven't read so uh that might show up next year on my best ofs list we'll see but for now, back to young adult books, my second favorite young adult book of the year was The Other F Word, which was edited by friend of the show, Angie Manfredi. Um, and it's an anthology featuring a lot of um, great authors that you maybe have heard of and then some more unknown folks. And it's just an anthology of essays and poems and other um, types of short writings about fatness and body acceptance and body difference and it's you know um I know Angie took a lot of care to make sure that it was very intersectional and so there is work by people talking about fatness and blackness or disability and fatness or queerness and fatness and how different standards affect them and differently and start to finish it's um it's very refreshing to read. Um, it's very... Mm, like, it'll make you feel... and make you feel all the feelings. Like, anger at the kinds of discrimination against fat people. It'll make you feel joyful. It'll give you some good fashion tips, perhaps. Um, and I, I love that it's targeted at teens. I, you know, having, having been a fat teen who's now a fat adult, it's something that is hasn't been written about as much for teens, especially not in a accepting, loving way. Uh, and I, I just think it's a really important and enjoyable book. And I, you know, it was great for me to read as an adult. I think it would have been amazing for me to read as a teen. I'm really happy that it's out there now for teens to get their hands on and be able to read it and be able to feel just affirmed and understood by it. All right, my uh, second favorite book that I read for young adults this year was In Other Lands by Sarah Reese Brennan, which is a couple years old, but you know, I listen to it's things still good. when the library allows me to listen to them. <laughs> this was just, it was fun. I mean, it was not, I feel like while there was some like interesting like social commentary stuff in there this was just a book that was very funny um mm-hmm. and very fun with very good characters um it's about a boy named Elliot who is from our world and while he is on a field trip um he is brought over into another world a fantasy world to be 
trained to be one of the fantasy, one of the the folks in this in this fantasy kingdom. Um, you know, it's like magical boarding school, sort of. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is that that's what that's the trope that it is. It is commenting on. But unlike many people who go to magical boarding school, Elliot is like, why are we using quills? Like, fucking, I got a pen. It's easier. <laughs> why don't you people have computers? Why doesn't my phone work here? This is absurd. Like, let me bring a toaster to school. Mm-hmm. Elliot, while at, he he's always liked kind of fantasy stuff. So he's like stoked to be a part of this, um, which is a really interesting way that it kind of, um, interrogates all of the different fantasy tropes he meets this beautiful elven girl named serene uh which is short for serene in the heart serene heart in the chaos of battle um the elves are a matriarchal society which is used to great effect i read some reviews that were like oh like it was just so stupid and so like purposefully you know, pointedly social commentary. And I thought it was used very well and was very funny. You know, like Serene will say like, oh, like, I can't believe that like your people allow you to go out on the battlefield, like your delicate sensibilities. You don't even have, you know, the 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 guts and the stamina and strength it takes to go through childbirth. Like how how do they think you'll be able to survive out there? He also meets Luke, who is the son of, like, a very important family in this fantasy world, who he hates on sight for reasons that aren't, like, 100% clear, <laughs> aside from just, I, have a boy, I am a boy who have been bullied my whole life, and here is a handsome, popular, athletic boy who I despise on sight for those reasons. Um, and it, it goes through, like, Elliot's years at the school um and it living this life like he goes home during breaks and then comes back over the wall to the borderlands uh at the end of it uh it starts when he's like 12 or 13 and goes up until he's a teenager and how you know he gets involved in like the politics of this land and realizing that the issues that are created and the racism between the different races um and you know, discovers all sorts of things about himself. Like he's in love with Serene at first, but Serene doesn't, she likes him as a friend and she loves him as a friend. And because her society has different like ways of courting thinks that when he wants to date her, what he really wants is to be friends with benefits um, and kind of breaks his heart. And then over time he realizes he's bisexual and all of like his, relationships are very interesting um with how he works through his own bisexuality there's a very which i really appreciated a very like frank because he is very he's very frank in his point of view he is just very upfront about what he's thinking and what he's saying and you know he he looks at what he's feeling and who he's feeling it for and has like kind of a very open conversation with himself about like, oh, like, I guess this is a thing that's true about me now. And how he becomes friends with Luke over time, and then something more. And, you know, he learns diplomacy. And it's just very, it was very fun. A lot of people in the reviews that I read seem to not like his voice. 
Uh, he is incredibly obnoxious. Mm-hmm. I found it very funny. But I can see how if you don't like characters like that, it could be grating. But I loved it. Yeah, I I read it a little while ago. I loved it as well. And I uh, ag- agree with all of that. I think it's it's a really fun send up. If you have liked other, you know, fantasy novels, you'll you'll recognize pieces of this and perhaps perhaps get a few laughs in. Um, but my favorite young adult book of the year was Shout by Lori House Anderson. Uh, this is a memoir that she wrote. Uh, I mean, it's about all of her life, but the cover and the title are especially evocative of her best-known book, which is Speak. And as if you haven't read Speak, I mean, it's it's a classic about a girl um, coming to terms with sexual assault and and healing, starting to heal from that. And so, a lot of it is about the author's own um, sexual assault and what she experienced. And then also about the reception of the book and about teens, you know, coming and telling her things and confiding in her and about um, her going on school visits and seeing rape culture and going, you know, how it's evolving, how people are starting to confront it and like what work is left to be done. Um, It's told in verse. So it's, it's very powerful. I when this first came out, you know, it had rave reviews and I was like, oh, I definitely want to read that. I love her, but I just want to make sure I'm in kind of the right mood to read it. And I would recommend that to you as well, especially if you're someone who like has survived sexual assault, like make sure you're in a good space before you read this because it is very powerful. You know, it's not graphic, but it's very um, intense in places. And I don't know why like I had that in my mind but then I was still like let me read this on a plane <laughs> and uh, I don't know and so I was just like sobbing on a plane between like and I had a middle seat between these two business bros and I'm just like crying into my stupid little square cocktail napkin and you know what and that's fine they can deal with it yeah I also, they did. I also read this this year I did not put it on my list because I saw it was on Renata's um but it's so much in the best possible way. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, it's great. It's Lori Hell Sanderson. Everything she writes is great. Um, and so I'm going to read just um, just a short, it, like I said, it's, it's written in verse. It's kind of a collection of poems that come together to form this narrative. And I'm reading a poem that is, um, well, it's called The Love Brarians. And so... You know, it's like how the Oscars always want to give movies, awards to movies that are about the power of Hollywood and, like, how filmmaking is great. I, I'm easily pandered to um, whenever there's something about how librarians are good. And also, I didn't want to read some, like, super heavy poem about sexual assault on this podcast. But um, here's Love Brarians. <laughs> I hated reading, loathed the ants swarming across the page, lost my excitement about school, fought, reduced to a puzzle with missing pieces. Once branded, the feeling of stupid never fades, no matter how many medals you win. But then we rode the bus downtown, me and Leslie, who majored in music and lived in our attic, Mary Poppins with a Jersey accent, we rode the bus downtown, The coins hot from my hand, plink, plink, into the box next to the driver. 
all the way downtown to a Carnegie library built by an immigrant so everyone could read, free and untrammeled by politicians seeking to bind them into ignorance, chain them to the wheel. Leslie promised she'd read me the book so I didn't have to be afraid of mistakes, and I wrote my name in big letters, got my first badge, a library card. I asked the librarian, can I take out all the books? And she answered quite seriously, of course, dear, just not at the same time. And so, with extra Leslie help and a chorus of angels disguised as teachers and librarians, for years unstinted with love and hours of practice, those ants finally marched in straight lines for me. Shaped words, danced sentences, constructed worlds for a girl finally learning how to read. I unlocked the treasure chest and swallowed the key. It's a good book. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's, it's very powerful, very recommended. Yes. Um, so my favorite book that I read this year was Wilder Girls by Rory Power. Um, I think I talked about this book on Twitter a lot because uh, I saw, uh, I went to a book event with uh, Rory Power and I also went to a book event that was not about Wilder Girls, but but Rory Power was actually at. Um, it was a um, a celebration of the book Ash uh, by Melinda Lowe and a, a, essentially of, of queer women uh, in YA. And this is just, it is a book that is extremely my jam that I was very hesitant about when I first heard about it because everyone kept um, explaining it as like, feminist lord of the flies or like lord of the flies but also but there's girls instead and i don't like lord of the flies and also it feels like not a great comparison to me like on the very very basic surface it is about a bunch of girls who are stranded on an island together who were in school together so i guess but also they have this, it's very body horror heavy. I will warn you now, um, if you are not into that, I don't necessarily recommend it because it is pretty, I mean, it didn't bother me, a person who's dead inside, but I can see how it could be very upsetting to people. Um, but uh, this is the an island off the coast of Maine where the Raxer School for Girls is located. Um, a virus has swept through the island that they call the tox and it's been almost two years and girls first when you first get it like weird things start happening to your body and then every time you have um a flare-up more things happen until inevitably you die from it and it's been whittled down to a very small number of girls and only a couple teachers who are left. It's very, it's much more dangerous for older people than younger people, um, which is why like the, it's not until you hit puberty that you start going through like symptoms of it, I guess. Um, and they've been told by the CDC that they're working on a cure and that it'll be there soon. But until then um, supplies are dropped off every once in a while to hold everyone over um and the story is told from the point of view of hetty uh who's one of the girls at school and by it who's another one of the girls in alternating alternating chapters or alternating sections and um 
Byatt has a flare-up that gets very bad, and she is brought up to the infirmary, and girls don't come back from the infirmary. Uh, and Hetty, who uh, Byatt's her best friend, and she adores her, is determined to find out what happened to her, and sneaks up into the infirmary and overhears one of the remaining teachers of the school talking on a walkie-talkie to some man on the other side of it, implying that Byatt has been picked up by... CDC folks and brought somewhere else, which is something that they have been told is not possible up until this point. Um, so she is determined to go looking for Hetty um, and through like this wilderness, because all of the animals are also infected. So all of the animals now are like wild and weird and dangerous and, you know, they're, they're, they're headed out to find out what happened to buy it and what is going on with this disease. And it's just, it's very creepy. Um, it's very evocative. Um, I liked it a lot. I read this with my eyes. That's how much I liked it. I read it with my eyes because the audio was taking forever to like, there was a a huge hold on the audio, but there was a shorter hold on the word version. Um, And so I I took the word version out and read it with my eyes, which is as if you listen to this podcast, you know, is a huge uh, recommendation because I can't read with my eyes anymore because my brain is broken. So there we go. Um, I'm going to read a little bit from the first chapter to give you kind of a kind of a taste of what it's like diving into this world. Something. Way out in the white dark, between the trees, moving where the thickets swarm. You can see it from the roof, the way the brush bends around it as it rustles to the ocean. That size, it must be a coyote. One of the big ones hitting shoulder high. Teeth that fit like knives in the palm of my hand. I know because I found one once, the end of it, just poking through the fence. Took it back and hid it under my bed. One more crash through the brush and then the stillness again. Across the roof deck, Byatt lowers her gun, rests it on the railing. Road clear. I keep mine up just in case, keep the sight raised to my left eye. My other eye's dead, gone dark in a flare-up. Lid fused shut, something growing underneath. It's like that with all of us here. Sick, strange, and we don't know why. Things bursting out of us, bits missing and pieces slowing off. And then we harden and smooth over. Through the sight, noon sun bleaching the world, I can see the woods stretching out to the island's edge, the ocean beyond. Pines bristling thick like always, rising high above the house. Here and there, gaps where the oak and birch have shed their leaves, but most of the canopy is woven tight. Needles stiff with frost. Only the radio antenna breaking through, useless now that the signal's out. Up the road, someone yells, and out of the trees, there's boat shift coming home. It's only a few who can make the trip, 
all the way across the island to where the Navy delivers rations and clothes at the pier the ferries used to come and go from. The rest of us stay behind the fence, pray they make it home safe. I'll end there. Because I could keep going. It's so good. <laughs> and then I'd be too scary. <laughs> yeah, keeping um, in mind that I'm sure Renata does not want to hear any further details about the body horror in this book. <laughs> Gross. Uh, but Duarte is snoring so loud. I don't know if my microphone is picking it up, but it's so loud that I wouldn't be surprised if it did. And it's so cute. <laughs> He's such a cute, sleepy boy. Oh. Uh. Anyway, my least favorite book of the year for teens was called Stags, and that is all in capital letters because it stands for St. Aidan the Saint Aiden the Great's School, which is the name of the boarding school it's set at, but also Stags Like the Animal, wordplay. Uh, it's by M.A. Bennett, and it was fine. Like, the premise of it hooked me because um Riverdale was on hiatus and I wanted some more like just straight up teen nonsense and this was billed as like the most dangerous game but set at a British boarding school and I was like yeah that sounds that sounds like it might fill the void left by Riverdale for me um and it you know they're they're at this very wealthy British boarding school and there's a handful of kids who are misfits for various reasons like one of them is new money and one of them is there in a scholarship and the third one is wealthy and like from an old money family but he is Indian British and so all the other kids are white and so they look down on him for that and then those kids all get invited on a weekend at one of the main popular kids like hunting lodge and it turns out that they are the ones being hunted. And that premise seemed very bonkers and compelling to me. I mean, it's a good premise, but it just kind of fell flat for me. And I thought also, I thought it would be more blatantly like, well, now it's the Hunger Games. But instead, the rich kids keep trying to stage accidents that are deadly. And it's just like... I kind of wish she would have just fully committed to this. I don't know. <laughs> I wish it was more fucked up. It's it was fine though. Like it had it is an interesting premise. I just wish it was more bananas, honestly. And the the characters all were just kind of f- flat stereotypes. Yeah. Well, that's good to know because that book's been on my radar for a while. Yeah, I mean it's fine, but. Um, my least favorite book that I read this year for young adults was The Lovely, or it's not even The Lovely War. It's just Lovely War by Julie Berry. Um, this was another book club pick. I did not pick it, but I also kind of did. Like it was not usually the way that our book club works is that, um, Rebecca, who is the employee who is in charge of our book club and who also wrote another one of my favorite books this year, um, Shatter the Sky, you should read it, um, picks out in advance like five books and then we all vote on what one we want. And then if it's down to if there's like a tie, everybody votes on the ones that are tied. And historical fiction is never like my first choice, especially not this book is a brick. 
and especially not war stories. I do not like war stories. Um, but the premise implies that there is um, like, it's like the Greek gods tell a story about world war one and how, how things that happen prove that love is real or something like that. Uh, it implied that there was a lot more Greek godness in it than there actually was. And literally what it is, is the Greek gods telling a story of humans, several humans doing things throughout a war and it's so long. It's so long. Um, I think if you like World War One, and you like war stories, maybe you would like it. I just, the premise did not come together for me in a way that I had wanted it to. The Greek god parts felt very pasted on throughout. Um, their interactions were much more interesting to me than the story they were telling about the humans. Um, and while I did like a lot of the characters, it was just so much. And it, I, um, it did not work for me, a person who does not like wars or historical fiction. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so that, that's how I felt about that. That's fair enough. All right. Well, let's wrap this up. These were our favorite middle grade and young adult books of the year. We'll have this whole list posted on our website, worstbestsellers.com, if you want to look at the covers and, you know, click the link to go out and immediately buy all these books because they sounded so great to you, except for the ones that sounded bad. Uh We'll be back in, t well, I guess, I guess we can tell you our social media stuff. Uh, real quick, if you're not already familiar, we're on Twitter at Worst Bestseller with no S because the S was murdered by those rich boarding school kids <laughs> at the Stags school, which is hogging the asses, by the way. Uh, we have a Facebook group, facebook.com. It's not a group. It's a Facebook page. <laughs> we don't have a group. Guys, it's fine. Uh, Facebook.com slash worst bestsellers, like how Facebook works. Uh, we also have a Goodreads group, which is a group. You can access that most easily by going to worstbestsellers.com and clicking on the Goodreads link. Uh, you can subscribe to us, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play. You know where podcasts are. Mm -hmm. Probably use one of them to subscribe if you can. Um, if you do subscribe, please take a moment to rate and review us. If you rate and review us, it moves us up a little bit on the charts and makes it easier for new folks to find us. Uh, if you don't rate and review us, you know, we're not going to do anything because it's the holiday season. Yeah, and we're, we're trying to put busy. a little positivity out in the world with this episode. Um, you can also join our Patreon at patreon.com slash worstbestsellers. Uh, Patreon is where you pledge a small monthly recurring donation. Uh, you get perks in uh, because of that. It's as a, as a reward. You get perks as a reward, a newsletter and postcards and all sorts of other stuff. Um, and then we get the money to do things like pay our editor and buy new equipment and stuff like that. Fucking whatever. Um, <laughs> We've been talking about books for so long. Let us rest. <laughs> <laughs> we have merch that you can go to by going to worstbestsellers.com and clicking on merch and you can buy it. It's the holidays. You know, give someone a t-shirt from a podcast they don't listen to. <laughs> They'll love it. <laughs> give your loved one a sex paperwork notebook. 
for your yes. sex paperwork. And don't explain it. <laughs> Do not explain it. No, you should. That's that's bad etiquette not to explain your sex paperwork. Talk it through. <laughs> consent. Informed consent. Please. <laughs> that's the gift that keeps on giving. You, you can follow me on Twitter at 14 across. You can follow me on Twitter at Renata Snacks, and that's where I post pictures of Georgia when he's sleeping. And uh, you can come back in two weeks and hear what our favorite and least favorite adult books and uh, graphic novels were. Yeah, and you should, because those books are good, too. Yeah. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>